0: Guess what? I'm moving country again. I don't know, maybe a year, maybe more. Where's home? Home's everywhere. I'm an expat. Hello, it's Pauline, and welcome to a new episode of Meet the Expats. Today I am with Sarah, an American woman who moved to the UK London for her postgraduate and hasn't left since. It's been five years now and she's going to tell us about her updates about starting a business in the UK and everything that's happened in the past few years how the country has changed. Hey Sarah, how are you? Hi Pauline, I'm good. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm really good. Yeah, it was on holidays last week and it's strange being back in gloomy France, but <laughs> <laughs> I bet well, Thanks Emil for joining. First things first, uh, maybe do a quick intro of yourself and let us know how you moved in the
1: first place to the UK and how things settled in. Definitely. So my name is Sarah. I am originally from San Diego, California, and I've lived there for the majority of my life. Um, A lot of people ask me why you would ever move away, but (laughs) I just thought, you know, I need a change and... I decided I was going to do my postgraduate degree in another country. Originally, I had ideas that I wanted to move to Rome. So I, yeah, I picked up and I went on a big European um, holiday about three months and I just fell in love with the UK. And um, when I got back to the US, I applied for my postgraduate degree in business analytics and uh yeah it was a, it was a year long study so i thought why not and you know the next september i was in the uk in canterbury it's a gorgeous you know sort of cathedral town oh. and um i did my my degree sort of i thought that i was going to be just here for a year but the way that i settled in was I pretty much met my now husband the first few weeks okay. of university. That's um, That's a one. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, once you meet, you know, that person, you just sort of, you get settled in a little bit faster, maybe. And, um, and yeah, and, you know, that year turned into five. And here we are. Still living in the UK and liking it, I guess. Definitely. I mean, it's it feels like another home to me because, you know, when you're 20, I must have been 23 when I got to the UK. When you're 23 and, you know, now that I'm I'm almost 30, it seems like such a big, all of my kind of yeah. learning and all of my growing as an adult has been here. So it definitely yeah. feels like home now.
0: Yeah, you've probably been through a lot during those years and, yeah, it just definitely. makes sense then. Yeah, 100% okay let's go back to the very beginning around you arriving in the u k so you had already been there on a travel, so I guess you sort of knew what to expect were there was there a big discrepancy between what you'd seen on holiday and just moving there and actually living there for a few months
1: one hundred percent I mean so when i was when I was traveling around i got to do all the touristy things and I had never actually been to Canterbury in my travels. so when I arrived I didn't know the city and I also didn't have like your normal sort of bank account I didn't have um betting I didn't have anything to really get me started so it was a massive learning curve for me I think the biggest um the biggest difference between the UK and maybe the US is just convenience of, you know, of those types of, um, and I'm not sure how it is in France, but I do hear that it's very similar in the fact that everything is very like paperwork and and you have to send it in the post and wait for it to come back. That kind of thing was really difficult for me to wrap my head around and I needed to work. I was broke when I arrived. I was just absolutely skint and I needed a national insurance number and I I didn't realize I had to wait for that in the post and so it really was for me learning how things were done here and setting up my life so that I could work I could put money in my bank account and and put sheets on my bed (laughs) in my university dorm. that was basically like the hardest part and at that point I think when I started working as well it was just um, the difference in culture within the office and, you know, how many cups of tea should I make for everyone, and, you know, that kind of thing. So it was such a culture shock. And I didn't think it would be because I thought, oh, well, we speak English. And they yes, speak English. Yeah. It's not at all the same at all. So it was a it was a learning curve and a half. Um, and it took me probably about three months before I finally did. Secure the national insurance number, the bank account, and oh, wow. the job. Yeah, that is long for the so. um,
0: for the admin part. Yeah, that takes a while. But I see you in France, I'm French, and I've been back for a few months now, almost a year. But there's still stuff I'm going back and forth and playing my hair, out,
1: and it's been <laughs> taking months. <laughs> and I know this, but it still shocks me. I mean, I just don't understand why things aren't more online oh, no. <laughs> but i mean it's it's i don't know it's almost like a bit of the charm it, it kind of gives the uk and obviously in france as well it gives you a little bit of a i don't know the traditional
0: side. yeah <laughs>
1: traditional and it's worth the effort in the end isn't it so
0: yeah <laughs> i guess <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so you settled into university, you found a job, uh you got the admin, you started to figure out a bit of the culture and so when you met your partner, was it just clear, okay, I'm staying in the u k or did both of you sort of have a conversation of well, should we move to the u s should we stay in the u k What was yeah. the situation there?
1: No, yeah, so absolutely, um it was the opposite of what you would expect. I, most Americans that I've met here, um, they want to move home. They want to move right. back to the U.S. I was, I was adamant that I wasn't going back. Um, and okay. my original plan was that I was going to move to Australia after my year in the U.K. And uh, I had already I had said I had said that to him, you know, like, oh, yeah, I'm looking into my visa for Australia. You know, you have to be young. So I want to do it before I get too old, whatever. Mm. And um, he was like, oh, that's okay, All right. That's interesting. I I really want to move to California. (laughs) And I'm like, (laughs) okay, "Uh, okay, that's the opposite of what I want to do. And so I think we it was more of like a compromise. We decided, okay, you don't want to go. Um, to Australia, and I don't want to go back to California. So maybe we should just stay here in the UK. And um, I think I, I assumed it was going to be kind of easy for me to transition from being a student into working full time. Mm. And we'll touch on this later, you know, but mm. basically, the working visa for people who are not from the European Union is extremely difficult to obtain. Is it? There, Yes, um, it's probably maybe about 30,000 tier two is what they call them work visas that they issue per year. And they're oh, for wow. very specialized, you know, people who who basically you can't find anyone in the European Union that won't be able to do that job. And that's kind of what you have to prove. Oh. So, yeah, it, it became very clear that I wasn't going to secure one of these visas. Right. And it, it started to really wear on us as a couple, because as the year was was winding down at university, um, I was right. being rejected um, as far as like my immigration status from the companies right. I was applying to.
0: Yeah. So there's the fear of, of I'm going to have to go back.
1: Yeah. A fear of separation. I mean, well, I wasn't I was like, adamant I wasn't going back. I was like, I'll oh. see you in Australia. <laughs> 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 um no, but I, the the kind of compromise that I had come to towards the end of the year when we realized that it wasn't, you know, we weren't going to be able to get me a work visa. And we we were kind of in that situation where we weren't sure if we were ready to get married because it was right. obvious that was the only other option. And right. um, so I had come up with this ingenious plan. And I don't know <laughs> if, if you knew this, but Americans have the ability to secure a one-year working holiday visa in Ireland. And right, that yeah, a, there's a lot of um, connection between Ireland and yeah, you know, historically, and they can come to America and do a year as well. So I knew that you know, the, the UK wasn't going to allow me to stay, so I thought, you know what, what I'll do is I'll go to Dublin and I'll do a year working holiday there, and we could have like a semi long distance relationship. Mm-hmm. Not too far away, you know. We could hop back and forth, and yeah. um, after that, we can decide whether or not we want to get married or, you know, move somewhere else. And um, so, yeah, the, it was it was a lot of moving parts. I mean, I was applying for my Irish visa. I was I was also trying to apply for a UK work visa, and you know, in the meantime, Jonathan was sort of thinking about how he he might get me a spousal visa in the UK. So it oh. was it was so many different moving parts. Um, and what ended up happening was um, I ended up taking him home with me to California to meet my parents, because right. you know it became it became clear that we it were going to yeah, yeah that we were going to stay together. And I just needed to I don't know you know get that sanity from your own family about whether or not it was going to work out. And well, I mean, um,
0: really want to introduce people. I mean, people are important to you. You want to introduce them to your family. Your family wants to meet them. If,
1: Exactly. You still have a part of your life in California. I mean, it makes sense that you're not going to live a totally separate life in the UK. Exactly. Can you imagine? I just sort of call my mom up and I'm like, by the way, I've married some random man. <laughs> um, so it was it was really good because we got the opportunity. Um, we had just uh, submitted our dissertations and we flew home to California. It went really well with him meeting my parents. And little did I know he had concocted a plan to propose. So yeah, I mean, it wasn't until we were 10,000 feet over the Atlantic ocean that I realized that he was proposing to me. Um, So yeah, he, he um, organized a sort of uh, like a first class upgrade and we were taken to the front of the plane and he proposed and we had champagne. And when we landed in the UK, we were engaged. So it was, it was a lot, you know, cause we, we needed to still actually um, finish our degrees. We had submitted our mm. dissertation, but we needed to sort of wrap everything up. And um, at that point, we had a few months left in the UK on my visa on my student visa. So we were coming back together and we landed as an engaged couple and you know, I was, I was flabbergasted because I was halfway through my Dublin visa. (laughs) It was just like, (laughs) in my head, I thought I was moving to Ireland, but. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So he had other plans. He didn't, he obviously didn't want me to go. And he, you know, he had the conversation with my parents and they agreed. So yeah, that was how, that was how the decision was made for us to stay here. Nice. Yeah
0: it's a positive way to have a decision. <laughs> it's a nice story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it
1: was, I to be honest with you, at the time, you know, when you are on a plane and you're half asleep mm-hmm. and you've got no you makeup on, <laughs> on um, I was not ready for the pictures to be taken mm-hmm. and for everything to happen on the actual plane. But it was, it was, it was better that way than, um than maybe the the cliche ways that I had in my head <laughs> thought it would go. I mean, yeah, as long as it works for both of you. And at least, I guess it secured your visa also. Yeah, no, exactly. So it was great. It meant that I could start the process of applying for my spousal visa here in the UK. And I'll be honest with you, you know, it it did kind of put a big delay on my career. So yeah. I felt like I was And I felt like I was sacrificing, it it took almost nine months for me to finally secure the visa. Oh, wow. So what
0: could you do during those nine months? You'd finished your degree and you were getting your visa and for nine months, you you know you can't apply for jobs or can you still apply in the meantime?
1: No. So um, you're not allowed to work for the time period that you're here as a fiance. So I was okay. on a fiance visa, which meant that um, we were supposed to get married within the six months. And of course, you know, the spousal oh, wow. visa requires uh, six months worth of employment and he had just graduated yeah. from university. So it was like we needed that six months for him to oh,
0: okay.
1: to work and, and be able to sponsor me. Um, but basically, mm. yeah, I wasn't able to work at all. I was uh, completely reliant on him. I didn't know London very well so we had moved from Canterbury here to London yeah, um, for him to start working and I was just on my own I mean it was really yeah. hard to that's yeah. tough
0: it's it's a lot of change at the at one time I mean moving from student life where it's always buzzing and there's excitement and you sort of have your days planned because you know you have to study or whatever and we then moving into workplace, a new play, a new city, you guys have to get married within this time frame because it also means you can then work. It's a lot of pressure, I oh feel.
1: My God. In one... So much pressure. I mean, it was. It, I felt that actually bad. It was more pressure on him because he's got a really interesting line of work. He used to be the British champion of magic. So he was an illusionist.
0: Oh, yeah. Interesting.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know. And it was it was a hard sell for an American family, you know. He's a he's a magician with no job, um, that wants to marry me. And, you know, in the States they're very, you know, keen on someone having pro- you know, being able to provide for you and all that. Mm. But yeah, he wanted to move into the theme park designing industry, and that is a hard industry to get into. So there was pressure on him to not only secure a job, but obviously to um, make a certain amount of money. You can't just have any mm. job. It has to be a certain threshold and then yeah. have that job for six months before applying for the spousal visa. So oh, wow. he was he was under the pressure to find a job in an industry that is super competitive specialized but he did it he he now works for a major theme park company and he's done so ever since we started this process but it was a pressure cooker at the time and I was just yeah. at my on my own in London you know sort of waiting for him to get home from work and yeah 6 months later we we got married and it was it was really really well planned in a way because actually mm. the, the wedding kind of coincided with our university um commencement ceremony. Oh nice. So it ended up working out to where my parents could actually come come and visit and they could see us um graduating from university, but also three days later we had a wedding ceremony. And <laughs> you um, got
0: the full package in one go.
1: <laughs> literally. So many things. Actually we had an engagement party in between the two because we hadn't had an engagement party. So it was like it was really weird. Um <laughs> But uh, yeah, so it worked out in the end. But I mean, the pressure that is put on couples, and I've had so many friends as well, who've been in very similar situations. But yeah, you know, it's difficult when you're, when you're not sort of from here, and um, you don't know what... And you're relying so much on someone else. Yeah, yeah. And I'm such an independent person, you know, I wanted to, you know, jump in my car like I would in California and just go somewhere. And, you know, I could not do any of that. I really was. And we were on a budget, so it was difficult. But I mean, if it wasn't for that sort of sacrifice, meaning I didn't I felt like I took forever for me to finally start my career. Yeah. And I wouldn't have had the kind of foundation that we have now. But you know, it, it is it is difficult. It's I do feel like sometimes, um, you know, with international couples, there always is that person that has to somewhat sacrifice in order to in order to make it work for both people to, to be in the same country. So yeah
0: yeah All right and so how did you start building your tribe or your sort of network then in London
1: yeah I mean funny funny that you that you say that because when I first got here I was literally making friends with anybody who would talk to me I mean it got to the point where <laughs> I was on the train into Central and I just started chatting with this girl who got on the after me, like at the stop after me. And I thought, Oh, she must live close. You know, I'll just, I'll start a conversation with her. And, <laughs>
0: um,
1: yeah, it was kind of at that, at that point that I was really sort of desperate for friends and for people yeah. to, to hang out with. And to be honest with you, um, I didn't really, I didn't really form the best habits around the people that I initially met in London. You know, there's a massive drinking culture and I was just oh, drinking yeah. so much and I was, I just felt like my habits Dublin's a little bit the same is it
0: yeah I mean even in the workplace Dublin and Ireland and the UK have this culture of get out of work you go to the pub with your colleagues and you do the same with your friends and that's about all you do and you end up going out drinking four times a week so yeah
1: or five, or six. (laughs) Yeah, or more. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's good fun at first, but you realize um, it's not sustainable. It's not a long-term, you know, lifestyle, and I think Now that, you know, we're in this particular situation, I I long for the days that, you know, I used to go out and drink. Yeah, of course. (laughs) But, Mm -hmm. yeah, at the time when I was sort of trying to um, build up, you know, a network of people, I I did have to kind of step back from that for a little while because Mm -hmm. I did start to finally... Work um, in travel. I really wanted to work in travel and I, I graduated as a, as a business analyst. So I started working as a data analyst for the travel company that I work for now. And um, I realized that, you know, the people that I worked with were, yes, they wanted to go out and drink and party and stuff. But when you were there, you did have conversations about the industry, about where your career yeah. was going, or about, you know, innovative new ideas within our industry. And because I was so interested in travel, obviously, I really enjoyed having those kinds of conversations. And I started to really look for associations to join. So, you know, um, like we had a association for global travel management, you know, lots of different uh, associations for hospitality and travel professionals. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of them I actually paid for so that I could have access to the events, because I really wanted to get into that particular industry more, more in depth and and have friends right. that really could, could understand and speak to the things that, you know, I was dealing with on a day-to-day basis. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, to be honest, I did feel a little bit like I was the young one in the crowd. <laughs> um, when you kind of start in those industries, you feel like you're the newbie and people are a little bit more seasoned. So I also started to go to like little uh, networking events that were held for young professionals in London. And they'd hold them at like all bar one or something. So you'd go and you'd have drinks and you'd kind of be able to merge your social life with your networking. And it was really cool. So I started to do that as well. And then as things progressed, I mean, now that it's been like five years last year, I had my own Christmas party. So I just decided, you know, I'm going to make my own events this year. I've got so many friends I want to bring together at Christmas time. So I organized a big Christmas pub meal um, and it was mostly travel colleagues, of course, but it was, you know, also a few friends and, you know, obviously my, my partner would come and everything. And it was just, it meant that everybody that I knew from lots of different areas could gel together. And now I really feel like I've got a solid network because I really sort of sat back and thought about what I wanted. You want to, yeah
0: yeah you want to be close to what you want and things like that
1: yeah and where I was going with my career as well so I just feel so much more like grounded and rooted within London and also within the travel industry so it's taken me a little while to get there but that's that's kind of how I I went about doing it
0: yeah often we've talked a lot in past episodes decide about making friends but a lot less about while taking the networking approach and and they can actually merge a lot you can definitely make friends and that are also in your industry and help you just get that knowledge about the industry it's it's funny that you really pinpoint on that side about more around the, the networking piece and you've moved a lot more into networking you mentioned you started your own business on that side
1: Yeah. So, you know, what I've done in my professional career was I made the leap from being a data analyst to going into the sales side of the travel, the company that I was in. So I realized, actually, it was one of my managers who pointed out to me that he was like, oh, you're so good at building relationships within our industry and obviously within the company. So why don't you go into a more sort of client facing role? And when I got into that role, um, I started to apply the same techniques that I used, you know, to just get well connected within the industry. And it's really helped me to solidify, you know, my sales career. But I had people who were in sales organization and within business in general who really didn't like that side of things, who really didn't like going to conferences or didn't really feel good about approaching prospects and even when we would have more social events with prospects they felt really awkward about the idea that something they would say would maybe affect the business relationship or something so right. i got i started getting people asking me um, you know when we go to conferences what do you think uh, is the best way for me to really approach people and those kind of questions turned into me thinking a little bit more about how i could maybe turn that into a business. So that's basically how it, how it happened. I really, really wanted to help people who, you know, really wanted to get better connected within their industry, but also wanted to maybe make those connections with prospects and with, you know, within their sales career. So I put together a couple of different resources and ended up working more one-on-one with people on ways for them to just overcome that shyness and overcome that, you know, sort of lack of confidence. And, and yeah, and I invited them to the random events that I would hold throughout the year, whether it was a pub quiz or Christmas lunch or whatever, and allowed them to kind of branch out a little bit. And they saw me as a, as an extension of their network um, to help to, uh, you know, introduce them to more people. So really yeah. what i'd like to do with the business and of course this is you know covid allowing is i'd oh. like to hold more events in london you know have specific networking events for lo- lots of different industries but also right. to help people to form their own little um circle their own like sort of mastermind group for lack of a better mm. word so that they can feel like there's there's a group that's got an endless source of Information that they can tap into whenever they need to, because they have that really close relationship with them, and they they've overcome the fear of you know reaching out and fear of connecting. So it's it's a new venture, but um, I really really love the idea of one day having those events in London and just bringing loads of people together.
0: Well, hopefully they will come back and community is definitely a big, big thing that's come out in, at least in marketing um, in 2020. So many companies are building this community of like-minded people in the same industry or the same sort of type of job title. So they mm-hmm. have this space to network, to exchange ideas, to brainstorm. Yeah, it works really well. I'm a big fan of those. So, staying on the business uh the starting your own business side, tell us a bit more about how do you launch that in the u k What does that entail in terms of admin or you being an American citizen and things mm. like that?
1: yeah, so I think the biggest thing for me has been um as a sole trader or like a um an entrepreneur, there's a sort of self employed category that you sit in yeah. within the type right. bracket here in the u k and in the, in the States, we all file our taxes every year. Everybody does it yeah. and whatever. But in the UK, it's just taken out of your paycheck and you don't even have to think about it. So right. it's not until you become self-employed that you then have to start actually filing every Fighting. year. Okay. Um, hmm. So, you know, it's been five years that I was just used to, you know, my taxes being well, taken take out of out. my paycheck. And then all of a sudden now I have to file, but also... <laughs> I've got a file in the States as well. So I still have to pay US taxes every year. Mm. And everything that I um, earn in the UK that's above um, a certain amount is taxed as sort of like an international capital gains. Right. Which is frustrating because it's quite a high tax bracket. Mm. But I mean, that's probably been the most of a minefield for me. But I think the other thing, is, um, you know, when you're launching something, especially in in an online environment, especially something that's so community focused, I feel like the UK has a a different culture of community than the US, you know, I feel like people are a little bit, what way? well, I feel like people in the UK, there's a much more nuanced approach to everything that you do around relationship building. Whereas in the States, you can just make eye contact, smile and start a conversation.
0: Here, Mm. you
1: have to kind of, you have to really state your intentions at the beginning and be, you have to beat around the bush a lot before you get to the meat and potatoes of what you're talking about. Earn trust,
0: earn trust. In in all of Europe, there's this big thing about earning trust before you start a relationship, I think.
1: 100%. And I think we're much more, I don't know, I think open. And I feel like almost my approach has changed so much with regards to, I would, I almost have to tone down the enthusiasm and the people always tell Americans, you know, we're hyper, we're loud, (laughs) you know, we've got this sort of in your face type of personality. And one of the things that I really wanted to highlight within the the networking business was the british culture side so i mean i've mm. i've got i've gotten a an etiquette consultant certificate or license i don't know which the right word is but basically i i wanted to understand british culture and etiquette in a in a way that would help me to help other internationals because especially right. within the um more professional services thing the banking finance industries it's very traditional in their approach to hmm. business, and I really, I've I struggled. You know, I I thought, oh, you know, people are gonna just want to come to my Christmas party. Of course, they want to. You know, I'm just gonna go up to them and tell them about it, and they just found that so invasive. You know, like when I first right. started, you know, the business and wanting to invite people to my event and wanting to talk to them about it, it was like, okay, back up, <laughs> calm, <laughs> calm down. You know, you're so excited. I think that was one of the biggest things for me to have to understand—not just the tax implications, obviously, in the money side of things, right. but the cultural differences between building um, a wider network. Obviously, my my you know my circle of friends—they understand my personality, but when yeah. I'm trying to you know promote the idea of building a community to a wider audience, I had to really tone it down and really understand how to speak to British people in a way that they would respond. So Mm -hmm. that's been a learning curve for me. And I've spent a lot of time sort of, you know, really making sure that the connections I've built with British people have been around that trust factor and around them being honest with me about about how they, you know, what their first impressions were and, and how I can improve that going forward. So it's been, it's been,
0: yeah it's great that you get that feedback from uh from the british directly.
1: <laughs> yeah it's hard to get them to say anything directly sometimes. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I think as well when you know I I tried to draw on some of my close friends and family for that that feedback but actually they're never going to be as honest with you as somebody who you don't know very well you yeah. know. And part yeah. of part of what I've learned is that not only just for me but for people who who might want to you know get those resources from you know from my business is that you have to go outside your comfort zone and get in front of people that don't really have anything to do with you and don't care about yeah. you um, and then and understand the way that you come off because that can really be affecting the amount of connection that you're able to make you don't actually realize it until someone's honest enough to say look hmm you're a little aggressive in your approach and I really just didn't feel like I wanted to talk to you you know and um, yeah. there's a lot of business people who have taken that type of feedback and then really applied it to their career in order to move forward in a more meaningful way yeah especially if you want to progress your career in
0: that country you do have to adapt your communication style or just to the
1: local culture and it's complicated at first every is. yeah Definitely, especially in a a culture where, you know, nuanced communication, um, it's Mm. all about all of the things that aren't said that you have to pay attention to. And we're just so literal in the States. (laughs) Switching
0: gears a little bit, I just want to move on to the UK in general. And so you've been there five years now, and I'm Mm. sure you've seen a lot of things change Major one being Brexit, of course. Yes. I think there's different approaches I want to take. First, you as an American, how do you view, view this? And how did you sort of react to the decision in the UK and everything that sort of happened around it?
1: Yeah. Um. So oddly enough, when I first started my university degree, it was the year before the referendum vote. So right. it was when we were writing our dissertation was when the vote actually happened. Oh
0: wow so I, was a little,
1: I was um and I was on the University of Kent campus, which is the UK's European university. That's their tagline. So right. we were in an environment of of really high anxiety and and fear and stress because I think not only the students who were there who were European, but obviously the staff and the The whole culture of the university was sort of being challenged at that time, Mm. and as much as I had my head under a rock and I was trying to just finish my dissertation, I was also very aware of how the vote would affect me personally. So I had my foot in two camps. I was I understood so much how scary and how different and how upsetting it was going to be for everybody that was European and that was um, obviously studying at the university. But also, because I was non-European, because I was a non-EU resident, Mm -hmm. I was not only subjected to higher fees, but I also was struggling to get into the work. Um, I was struggling to get a job, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And so I kind of saw it as an opportunity for non-Europeans to start to maybe compete on a more even playing field with the oh, rest of right. the workforce. But I also okay. was struggling to reconcile with, with the idea of things changing and with the idea of all of these people being negatively impacted. So it was really difficult for me because I was felt like I was being pulled in two directions. And then obviously when the vote happened, I didn't actually expect it to go the way that it did,
0: <laughs> um,
1: like most people. And yeah. Yeah, it was really surprising. So it was a bit of a, okay, now what? You know, now we're yeah. going go from here. So in the last sort of, you know, now that we've come, what, three and a half, four years from that vote, and we we just saw 31st of January was the, the sort of first days, oh, sorry, 31st mm-hmm. of December was the first, you know, the last day that we were going to ever be a part of the European Union. Since then, I've seen a real shift in the British, like the British population's view of it so okay. at first at first it was like everybody was um so entrenched in their own camps and you know some mm. people were really angry about it other people were really excited and again i was sort of in both camps i just thought oh well hopefully it makes things easier for you know aspiring young people from india or you know aspiring yeah. young people from america to maybe come here and be able to say i have these skills and please you know please look yeah. at me and not my passport. But also, right. I was—I felt like, oh, my gosh, I just got here. I might be getting my British passport soon. And now I'm not even able to live in France. You know, so <laughs>
0: but,
1: it, it's yeah. just so it's so many things. But my point is, is that now it's almost as if everyone's kind of resolved to the point that this yeah. has happened. Everyone's sort of rallying around the the new sort of frontier of, you know, creating these relationships with the Commonwealth and kind of going back to this this. Um, idea that, you know, they want to align with the Canada's and Australia's and New Zealand's of the world. And okay. some of the people are um, really, really kind of coming around to it in ways that I never thought they would, considering how upset and angry everyone was initially. So so that's basically my take on it. It's, yeah. it's swings and roundabouts. It You know, there are, there's going to be some really, really bad drawbacks to it. And there's also could be some amazing opportunity that comes out of it as well
0: so yeah just wait and see what opportunities come out and i know it's
1: interesting to to see
0: that yeah what you're saying about giving a chance to non-europeans is something i that had never crossed my mind myself being european yeah i straight away saw it as oh shit i I can't live (laughs) there as easily as i i used to be able to and I never had that view of, well, it actually might balance things out for a non-European. So interesting to get your view. <laughs>
1: Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's difficult because everybody has their own, like, when I was in Interest. the States. Yeah. Like yeah. when I was in the States, I never really thought about what it was like to immigrate from another country. And it wasn't until I got mm. here and I started to hear all of the fears. Um, you know, I'm so glad to see the back of, you know, our old president. Um, oh. but people were coming to me like did you know there's a muslim ban and did you know that you know it's hard to get no. visas in the US and actually i had no idea um mm. and it wasn't until i started to get those people coming to sort of give me their their point of view that i was like oh my gosh i didn't realize how
0: <laughs> how difficult <laughs> yeah. it Probably
1: is for cool. yeah. yeah and um And so, yeah, you know, definitely as far as when I was at university, there was, there was kind of a divide, if I'm completely honest with you, between those who were studying from China or those who were studying from Greece. And it was, we sort of had two different camps.
0: Right.
1: I usually found myself with people from, you know, the Bangladesh and the Indias of the world, because we were all in the same camp, like, oh my God, how are we going to get jobs? (laughs) What's going to happen? so yeah it's just a different perspective really
0: yeah on a lighter note let's move on to the recommendations around london yeah Uh, hopefully they will open up soon enough but (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so i ask all of my hosts for one bar one restaurant and then the last one being a full carte blanche anything you want
1: I love it. Um, yes, so I'm I'm expecting the UK to open back up in the summer. Oh, nice. I really, really love the summer here and my favorite mm-hmm. bar to go to, to be fair, this bar is not really a summertime bar, but this <laughs> bar is every girl's dream on a Saturday night. It's called Tonight <laughs> Josephine. And tonight, Josephine is literally um, Instagram capital. So all of the (laughs) all of the Instagrammable pics you want to take is is going to be there for you. All the like neon signs and all the cocktails are really like girly. So they'll have like glitter or they'll have um, you know like smoke coming out of them. (laughs) And um, I just feel like every time I go there, I'm just taking endless photos. So. definitely my recommendation for bars and it's just below waterloo station um so it's central london restaurant wise there's a really lovely immersive rainforest cafe type vibe it's but it's more for adults because i rainforest cafe is always full of children it's called shakazulu and it's in camden so it's kind of north london
0: and what can, can you describe a little bit more? What I, what you mean by uh, immersive rainforest? I've never been to a rainforest cafe. actually. So sure. So basically, like.
1: yeah. I mean, so you walk in and you've got big elephants. You've got big sculptures of monkeys. All of the yeah. Um, yeah all of the roof is is kind of got some shrubbery or some sort of like you know rainforest type um, forestry. And then you've got um, the bars are like all you know you'd have like the leopard print and you'd have like all that kind of stuff is um it's like you're you're sitting in the middle of some safari Safari. or something yeah um and the food is very similar so it's all sort of like very interesting meats and different um veg and things Mm. that you might not normally find on a menu because they're trying to bring in types of you know you can order like a boar or you can order Mm. You know, like an d- interesting type of alligator, I think, as you can also get from there. <laughs> um, so it was, it was something that we went to with a couple of friends and absolutely fell in love with it. And Camden is such a beautiful place anyway. Yeah. That, um, yeah, that when we found the Shaka Zulu, it was just such a good um, night out, really. But um, for the carte blanche, so. This one is me really looking forward to the future of having London be back open for the summertime. And one of the things I used to love to do is everybody who comes to London, they really want to see the sights, don't they? And Trafalgar Square is one of the big iconic areas of London that we all end Mm -hmm. up sort of coalescing around, especially if you've just just arrived. And there is a rooftop bar in the Trafalgar St. James Hotel. So it's a hotel that's just opposite from Trafalgar Square. And you don't have to have a reservation. And it's very sort of secretive. If you don't know it's there, then you won't know it's there. Okay. And um, the they've got a rooftop bar called The Rooftop. You don't need a reservation. You just go in and say, um, is there space on the rooftop? And then you go up the elevator. And you've got this amazing view of Trafalgar and Leicester Square and right. you've just got this amazing view and you can have a couple cocktails, some bits and nibbles. Yeah, it's always it's always really popular, but mm. only for people who know it's there. So yeah. it's a good local spot for sure. Cool.
0: We'll keep that one in mind next time we go to London. <laughs> Definitely you'll enjoy that, especially in the sunshine. Yeah, <laughs> exciting. Right. Last but not least, before we we cut off, what is your expat song for the UK? Right. So this
1: one was difficult. I chose "Rule the World" by Take That, and ah. if you've never heard it. Yeah, it's um quite a whimsical song. It's a bit of a romantic one. So I never really had heard of Take That when I got to the UK. I'll be honest. Very with you. British group, yeah. Is,
0: it <laughs> is, Boys isn't and, it? Yeah, yeah. And UK in the nineties.
1: Yeah, I didn't had no clue who they were, and I fell in love with them when I got here. And when me and my husband had our sort of big wedding, because we had quite a small wedding in the UK, we had a big wedding in California. This was our first dance song, Aww. and. It just made us feel like there was a bit of a, a you know, a UK presence, and it's a, a song that talks about, you know, ruling the world and, you know, reaching your goals, and and that's kind of how I feel when I'm here. So, yeah, that's my expat song. I definitely recommend putting that on loud on a Saturday morning for sure.
0: Yeah, we'll do that just after this episode then. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Okay. Well, thanks Emil for joining and sharing your story. Mm, and really insight <laughs> Well, it was a pleasure. It's really insightful to get your view on well how you go from studying to getting a working visa as a US citizen in the UK, that's not as easy as you can think. Having a different view on Brexit, launching your own networking business, really exciting wish you all the best for that <laughs> thank you so much Colleen and so guys thank you for listening I hope you enjoyed it if you did please go put a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and stay tuned for the next episode as usual everything will be linked in the comments and see you on Instagram thank you bye